And good morning, everyone. Welcome to another QC Brief. We're here with Michael Forian. Uh, back with you to discuss a little bit about the campaign, brief you on the, the hot topics. Uh, how's it going, Michael? It's going good. Reporting live from downtown Montreal at Place Ville-Marie. Yes, I got right, some at, meeting. The, right you, at the lobby of Place Ville-Marie. You, you know it. Um, and in any case, I just got a few more meetings downtown today. I uh, figured that I would do the pod from here. So this is where I am. So if you hear some nice classical jazz in the background throughout the podcast, well, now you know why. It's for your entertainment. Why not? Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We are halfway. Uh, we're at the halfway point in the campaign. We'll discuss that on Monday. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out right now, right? Uh, this is like, a, it's not the final stretch, but it's kind of like a new campaign. The, the halfway point is always kind of like a new beginning. Um, if your campaign hasn't been going well, it's kind of an indication that you know, you can maybe restart or um, if you're going well, it's an indication to just maintain it properly. Don't screw up. It's kind of like a new beginning, right? A fresh start, if you will. Uh, and there's a lot of shit happening. But before we get to that, I want to talk just some things that are unrelated to the provincial campaign or almost unrelated. Uh, just so we can get those out of the way, because um, one of them specifically will just follow up from Monday's episode. We spoke about the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race. We spoke about Poilev winning. We spoke about how what uh, you know how you know what a disaster the the defeat was for Jean Charest and specifically Alain Rayez, who was the uh, the guy that started the whole campaign with Charest and who also lost his own writing, his own members, uh, whatever, a couple hundred of them. Uh, I don't know how many delegates he had uh, voted for Poilev, and I want to touch on that story because there's been some serious developments uh, since Monday. Uh, namely, on Tuesday, Alain Rayez came out and said, look, uh, I accept the results. Congratulations, Pierre Poilev. Uh, unfortunately, I do not uh, see the party that I uh, that I've been uh, that I've been a part of. I don't, uh, you know, uh, I don't recognize the party anymore. And I think the only honorable thing for me to do is to step down. Uh, having listened to a lot of my constituents as well, they also feel the same way. I need to represent their voice as well. And he uh, resigned from the Conservative Party and will be sitting as an independent. As soon as that happened, uh, automatically Pierre Poilievre came out. And, uh, you know, we're used to this more traditional kind of thing. Thank you for your service. We understand. That's fine. Sit independent. There's always kind of this exchange happening. Instead, we uh, we heard a completely different Poilievre. He came out and said, well, he made a decision not to fight just inflation with the rest of us. And that's fine. Blah, blah, blah. So he came out kind of on the attack. And then yesterday morning or around noontime, there was a message, a text message that circulated in all the to, to all the conservative members in his in Alain Rayens' writing, asking them to call his office and ask for his resignation. I have never seen intimidation like this um, as long as I've been in politics. And uh, it, it, I, I don't know what kind of tone Poilievre is trying to set. But it's not the way to do politics. I don't know what you think about this. I sent it to you right away. I, I couldn't yeah. believe this was happening. I'm like, is this validated? Is this true? And indeed it is. Yeah. And and there, there's definitely some bad blood between Alain and Pierre in this regard. And I'll say this is somebody who, you know, appreciates both of them. 
and respects both of them. You know, Alain was our Quebec lieutenant uh, going into the 2019 campaign when I was running as a conservative candidate in downtown Montreal, somebody who put together uh, literally brick by brick and laid the foundation for uh, us to, to have that campaign and uh, to do reasonably well, obviously not the results we were hoping for across the board in Canada, but I think we maintained our numbers uh, in Quebec and we did fairly well in that, in that regard there. Uh, you know, I think, uh, listen, Alain was somebody who went out and recruited, essentially recruited and, and was one of the first backers of uh, Jean Charest from the very beginning of the conservative leadership race and pushed him to go into this against Pierre Poilievre. Uh, you know, he is a, a moderate conservative. He calls himself a progressive conservative. Uh, you know, I, 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 and the funny thing is, like, you know, fairly, at least in today's uh, mindset, a, a conservative stronghold. They have now seen uh, over the course of the past three MPs that have been elected there, each and every single one uh, resign at some point, uh, resign from their their government from their caucus um, at some point and sit as independents. Uh, the, the conservatives, this is this to me speaks says a lot about about Pierre style going forward. It, I know exactly where this is coming from. This is Jenny Byrne tactics. Jenny Byrne was deputy chief of staff to Kepadiev, uh, to sorry to Stephen Harper uh, during the Harper government, um, and she was acting as the head of the Kepadiev transition team. Uh, as he transitions over into the uh, office of the leader of the opposition, and uh, this is uh, this isn't good. And and you know the, these text messages they were they were accusing Alain, you know, of having you know called it quits with the Conservative Party because he decided again, like you said, not to fight Trudeau's inflation with with uh, with uh, you know Pierre's team. Um, what is the reaction that we're seeing from people on the ground there? He's getting swamped by harassing calls from people. I would say majority of them are not even from his riding. Um, but calls across Canada saying that he he's not even a real conservative. Um, this is not this is not what we we, we should be seeing um, in a in a time that should be unity uh, really for Pierre right now. He yeah. should be trying to bring in people that weren't on his team into the fold and say, listen, there's a place for you within my caucus. There's a place for you within my shadow cabinet going up against Trudeau, and I need you on my team, especially somebody like Alain, who recruited, I would say, uh, you know, the vast majority of members that we had, that we we gained over the course of the 2015 and 2019 uh, time period. Um, you know, he was elected under Stephen Harper's, uh, you know, last election campaign in 2015. Harper specifically recruited him, uh, you know, former mayor of, of Victoriaville, uh, really great ties with the region. And seeing this uh, was quite sad because I, as much as I do respect Pierre, um, I, I do respect that as well. And uh, I just don't think if this is the tone that we're going to be setting going forward for the next uh, few years up until the next election, um, things are not going to bode well for Pierre and the Conservative Party. Yeah, I agree. And not only that, the other thing that worries me a little bit is, well, look, obviously there was a rearrangement. I mean, there's a new uh, Quebec lieutenant, um, Pierre-Paul Eus, who was the only a member of the Quebec caucus to support Poilev. And it makes sense. He deserves that spot because of, and we know how it works. Um, and there were reports that Pierre Paul Eus was uh, actively involved in this tactic. And I, I just don't understand it strategically because the rest of the Quebec caucus, you're going to need them. And chances are that they are pretty much backing Alain Reyes at this point. Of course, none of them came out to denounce it, which I find very strange. Um, but I, I mean, but the party did apologize. They did send out a tweet saying that, you know, yeah, they, but they, you, they, you, you read the tweet, right? I mean, it was it was boilerplate, right? Oh it was it God. had there yeah, was nothing was, in it that actually yeah. had the any party substance. apologizes for having sent this message to the members of uh, 
what's called period that's it nothing about is nothing about we shouldn't have done it or just how oh, we apologize for sending it out period it was very cold I mean it's something it came to, at the end of the day like I 11 p.m or something like that I mean the whole day had to pass before you realize the the mistake you did I uh, you know for 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 the good of the party I I just think image wise this was wrong and secondly I hope to God that the Quebec caucus you know doesn't distance itself or kind of gets alienated by this you know and uh, because you know Pierre Paulus, yes you got your new role but you're going to need your 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 um your your colleagues in Quebec you know and if you just this sure. from them i mean what's the point you know like what kind of quebec lieutenant are you going to be and, and anyway. he said but he, he did say at some point during the day yesterday that he didn't want to wage war uh with with reyes you know he had worked with them for, for seven years but you know he said well but he also sparked a lot of anger within the party itself that makes you think that it's not really the quebec uh wing of the party that is really angling against uh reyes in this circumstance yeah, here no, no. it makes me think that it's people in pierre's transition team senior officials that are working on that were working on his campaign like jenny Byrne, um you know and jenny's somebody who i do have respect for because she's won a ton of campaigns and she's one of the best campaigners in the entire country my point being is that i just don't think that this was um i just don't think that this was, was appropriate to going forward on this front yeah Okay, let's get on over to the second topic very quickly. We'll get that out of the way and then go on to the main things. Um, let's talk about the Canadians quick, quick. They announced the new captain. I don't think that was a big surprise. Uh, and that's really nothing to do with uh, the, the, the purpose of this uh, podcast. But the whole thing about the language keeps coming back, right? Every time the Canadians announce a new captain, does he speak French and does he have to speak French and how well does he speak French and how much effort is he making to speak French? I don't know what you think about that. Um but uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's beyond ridiculous. I mean, and and this all started when Paul Saint Pierre Plamondon, the leader of the PQ, came out and said, you know, yes, he has to learn it, but you know, simply because being captain of the Canadians means creating a link with the entire population. Um, you know, it they, they, he he needs to show his unconditional support for the French language. You know, he said like things that like what does it take to, to take French what does it cost to take French lessons for a, a Montreal Canadiens player um you know it would make a positive difference why does this matter we're in 2022 and I just like if if he's able to learn and we just even know if Suzuki will be there you know two three four years from now if he'll be with another team my point being it just seems so buffoonish to make to make this an issue um but at the same time looking at the other side in terms of what gets to people's emotional core during the course of a campaign, language does, yeah. values does, yeah. culture does, and and it makes sense. But I, I just don't think that it, 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 this was this is necessarily the right time to be really speaking about something of this nature when we want to hear from from politicians and party leaders about their platforms, what they're going to be doing for Quebec, not them taking pot shots at the new captain of the Canadians because he doesn't speak French. Yeah. Um, Legault had to get in there too. Legault said like, yeah, yeah, I think it's a great choice, but you know what? I think that he should be learning some French too. And, um, you know, he'll have to learn French is what Legault was going on there. Um, you know, I'm glad coming out and saying that everybody who comes to Quebec should learn French. It's, I understand where they're coming from, but is it really... Um, a priority, if you think about it, is this really going to be, uh, you know, a major campaign decision for people when they're going to the ballot, and going to mark their ballot? You know, did did a leader of a political party 
encourage Nick Suzuki to speak French or not, learn French or not. Yeah. That to me just seems <clears throat> really disingenuous. But they almost have no choice because when a journalist corners you and asks you, okay, new captain, the Canadians, uh, what do you think about his French? You almost have no choice but to get into your into your party's ideology. And this is where I think they tricked Legault because like, oh, you know, eventually, you know, he should speak French. And they're like, what, are you giving him six months? They're going back to that, right? So... I, I understand how they this got invited into the campaign. I get it. I'm just looking at it more like, you know, let's assume there's no campaign. It's a fucking sports team. You know what I mean? The, their job is to win. And the direction of the team has to choose players that will lead them to victory. I never understood this whole French English thing. I mean, you know, we're not at a time where, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, where they could go and you know, there were less teams and they they had that advantage of selecting many more players coming from Montreal or from Quebec. And there was a lot, you know, those, you know, a lot of Francophone players. Um, it doesn't work but, like that anymore. But, but George, at the same time, like you, you see hockey, I get it. It's like a religion in, in Montreal. Right. It's a religion across Quebec. I, I understand that. But we're in the midst of, of, of speaking with Quebecers and of encouraging them to make a very important decision over the course of the next few weeks um, as we get into October 3rd. And, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing GND um, and Quebec Solidaire take pot shots the Molson family because they find it really, you know, plain and ordinary that they decide to sew an RBC bank logo onto, uh, you know, a Montreal Canadiens jersey. Um, and, it, you know, they're speaking about, you know, the, it, there's a question of character and the respect for the identity of the jersey itself. What the fuck are you thinking? Show us you where where you're coming up with your buffoonish budgets and how you're costing your platforms with you know putting Quebecers into an immense amount of debt. Nobody uh, wants to talk uh, about yeah. this. No, but nobody also, wants to have yeah. a conversation. But on not this only not only that, not only that, it also shows the disconnect. I'm talking to you now from the perspective of a business owner, right? And obviously, I can't compare it to what the Canadians are, but I look one at, day, one day. Yeah, yeah, I look at Jeff Molson, for example. And he came out and said, look, it's not our decision. The National uh, the National Hockey League allowed this for the very first time, and we did it. Why the fuck would an organization that is interested in making profits leave money on the table? If the National Hockey League says, look, yeah, sure, put 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 uh, sponsors on your shirts, we allow it this year. Why would you not do it? Why? Well, because, Why would you but, leave that money? Of course, but George, George, you have to think about the television viewer at home, the spectator who watches <laughs> the game at the Bell Center and is already subjected to an advertising orgy and and this edition really you know it really crossed the line it really did and i really hope people vote for me come october 3rd fuck off <laughs> so stupid uh, all right let's move on over to other serious uh, issues in this campaign uh <clears throat> the, the plq dude they just can't catch a break uh the, the liberals the, it's the gift that keeps on giving shit uh, they messed up royally in costing their platform. Uh, and when we're talking about royally, we're talking about major, like we're talking about a $16 billion uh, mistake here. <laughs> yeah. And, and this was, you know, they, this came out from a La Presse article um, earlier in the week and, and very quickly they were, they the liberals had to respond to this. And, and let me just state like, do we recall who the president of the liberal campaign is? It's Carlos Leitao. It's the former liberal finance minister. And I think for somebody who played the role as finance minister over the course of the entire four years of the Quiard government, for him to be presiding over a mistake this egregious, um, it's not great. It's not great for Carlos. It's not great for Dominic. It's not great for the party. But, but in the end, 
um, you know, they 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 miss they misestimated uh, they underestimated the net provincial debt, um, which would come in at two hundred fifty six billion at the end of their mandate instead of two hundred forty billion um, initially projected uh, when when they when their program was first costed um, by them. Um, this is why we have journalist costing programs. This is why we yeah. have economists looking at different political platforms and seeing what is this going to do to the financial um, framework of the province itself, and can they budget themselves? Um, so, you know, Leitao was really trying to play, you know, the, the the key messaging of like this is really not going to hurt the reputation of the party. Um, you know, of course it is. Of course it is. If, if they if they want it, the, the, the Liberal Party has always tried to play the, the, the voice of the party of the economy and the party of fi- fiscal responsibility. For their guy, who was the lead proponent on that over the course of four years under Cuillard, the last and who, did time stel- and who did a stellar job, who did a stellar way. job, yeah. but for him to miss something like this, and he had since it's been since September 4th uh, that they had cost their program. So, you know, give or take maybe a, a little bit over a week. Um, to correct this error themselves and 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 put out a statement uh, before they were caught by La Presse, this really says something. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's Look, pretty bad. You, you know, I, I was thinking about this all day yesterday, and I was trying to think, you know, what is the perfect formula for a disaster? And, you know, because we've seen so many campaigns. We've seen leaders start from nothing and get really close to tasting victory, like uh, Mario Dumont in 2007, right. for example, uh, Thomas Mulcair, uh, who started nowhere and he was he was projected the winner in 2015. Justin Trudeau was coming in last and he won the elections. So we've seen how things can shift. Um, some campaigns start bad and they end up well. Some campaigns start well and they fucking take a dip. And some campaigns just don't take off at all. And I was thinking, what is the recipe like to just fucking plant your party into the ground? And I'm thinking definitely, you know, a lack of leadership for sure has something to do with it. Uh Probably a lack of organization would have to do that. And then the last one is the lack of credibility. And the Liberal Party just accumulated. The, like, they just added that, and it's like they figured out the perfect formula for disaster. They uh, found oh. this. With this coming out yesterday, it's like, what else do you want? I mean, you you did everything wrong. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you know, when you're trying to respond to media inquiries like this and when you're trying to, you know, get a statement out fast, when you're when Leitao came out and said, you know, that, you know, this is the most complex thing imaginable. This is so difficult. And I don't have the 35 bureaucrats I would usually have at the finance department to help me with this. We're two people. That's all we are. And when I said uh, when, I, when he said we're two people, I said, well, that's more than many campaign offices for the Quebec Liberal Party have across the uh, province of Quebec in itself. So, uh, you know, and that's usually the candidate and their best friend is who's helping out in terms of those two people, or those volunteers. The key messaging is terrible from the party. They can't respond to basic media requests. Um, they, they're just fumbling the ball and then planting their heads into the ground. It's sad. It's embarrassing. Well, everything is off. Everything is off. Yeah. And then yesterday, I think uh, in the middle of the day, uh, they start talking because the deadline is coming to uh, uh, we're coming close to the deadline where the candidates need to submit yeah. 100 signatures so they could become officially uh, um, uh, the candidates, right? Like their, their right. nomination form. Uh, and there's a deadline because the elections, Elections Quebec needs to print the ballots and the, 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 the early voting starts, I think, 22nd or the 23rd of September. So they need to get those out right away. So they have until this Saturday, I think, to submit their nomination forms and the Liberal Party. And we spoke about this in the I think the first or second episode. They they were struggling to, 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 to fill up 125 candidates that they need. They threw pretty much any anyone like they fucking Tom, Dick and Harry that they could find and shoved them in there just so they can get that stress uh, behind them. Problem is that those 
people that they just randomly threw in these writings haven't even collected 100 signatures to become official candidates. And I think I sent you the the, the, the clip there of the thing of the, of the TV screen. They have what, 80 so far that have had yeah. their signatures out of 125. And the deadline is in two days. Yeah. Um, Tom and Harry have fucked off all they're left with is dick at this point. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's it's the CAC, uh, the QS, uh, the conservatives. They pretty much have all of their candidates in line at this point. They submit. They were able to submit their 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 boutique candidates so early. Um, and I, I know from having spoken to some friends of mine that are running to get back to the rolls across the island of Montreal that they had uh, difficulty in terms of you know even convincing people to give them a, a, an endorsement in this circumstance here. And it's not even really an endorsement. It's just saying, I want to qualify you as an elector in your writing, which you're running with yeah. to be on the ballot. And the they don't the need to be liberals. I mean, no, I've, I've, they signed, can be, I've signed tons, tons yeah. of different parties. It's like, yeah, you're running here. Let me sign for you, dude. Yeah, go ahead. Run. Yeah. You, know? you don't need to support them. Like you cannot stop a hundred people on the streets and get them to sign your fucking papers, dude. Like what the fuck? Yeah. And again, it all goes down to lack of volunteers, lack of prioritization, um, lack of motivation overall. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I was talking with a bunch of um, lobbyists yesterday who, you know, they have to lobby both the government and the opposition. And they are all convinced that this is the end of the PLQ, that we are, we're watching the slow death slowly. This is the first election where they're going to take the the, the, the real death. The people are going to be start talking about this is the end of the POQ. And by next election, it will it will solidify it. Um, but it's it's a really slow and painful death to see. And, and it just shows they really have nothing to offer at this point. Let's uh, uh, let's move on over to uh, a little bit of the promises, whether the, the, the party, what they're uh, and it's getting complex, right? I mean, there are some platforms that are just difficult to even read through, like uh, the PQ platform and even Quebec Solidaire. It's so hard to 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 just go through that platform. So complex. But give us um, just a little bit of what, you know, the major lines of what these parties uh, have been promising. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that it's important to note that, you know, we. We need to look, you know, we're halfway through the campaign. They, they've had a, a chance to actually say something at this point. Um, it's, it's good for us to take a look now and to see what what is, you know, who's offering what. I mean, there, there, there's a it's a we need to look at a compilation of, of their of their key commitments. And let's start with uh, just on environment. Quebec Solidaire said they would make the prime the, the premier directly responsible to fight uh, fight climate change. Um, they would adopt a law against food waste. They would adopt uh, a food purchasing policy in the public sector, including 70 percent local food and 50 percent plant based meals. Tackling greenhouse gas emissions, uh, creation of a Quebec rail and Quebec bus um, you know, corporation, the yeah. network uh, that would uh, that would uh, that would install a network across Quebec. Um, you know, transfer plans in Montreal, uh, the Montreal region in Quebec, uh, rapid bus service across the Quebec Bridge uh, to counter the the troisième lien, as we've been hearing so much about over the course of the of the campaign. Um, and they will reduce the price of public transport tickets by fifty percent. You know, the Quebec Liberal Party in this regard, they've really been going on this whole. Um, creation and, and their projet echo of, of Hydrogen Quebec, um, which would be a government corporation responsible for coordinating the development of, of green the green hydrogen sector. Um, they would, uh, you know, adopt an energy efficiency plan to reduce Quebec bills by 10% and also introduce free public transport for, for students and people uh, age 65 and over. Uh, and again, also trying to make it uh, the premier's responsibility for achieving greenhouse gas uh, emissions targets. The PQ uh, wants to offer the Pass Climat 
and this would be an annual transit uh, pass giving unlimited access to all local metropolitan regional inner city Quebec public transit network for $365 a year. Doesn't sound like a bad deal if you think about it, if you're going to be traveling a lot. Um, but they would also uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions outside Quebec by 10% uh, by, by financing reductions elsewhere. So in particular, uh, going through the Quebec, California um, uh, carbon market, the, the Bourse uh, Charbon. So, um, and they would also restore the subsidy for the purchase of a new electric vehicle to $8,000 um, for that purchase there. And for the CAC, you know, a little bit limited, a little bit lean in terms of their policy. And they've been getting into a little bit of hot water in this regard because uh, the uh, mayors of uh, Montreal, Laval, Quebec City um, came out uh, the other day and Mayor of Longueuil as well. And, and basically we're hoping Legault would pledge, um, you know, a few, I think it was $2 billion towards uh, climate action and really giving cities their place at the table in terms of being able to fight uh, climate change that's on that front. Legault said no, categorically no, in this regard there. But he is working a lot in terms of, uh, you know, policies that would have to do with protection of waterways, uh, creating a blue fund, you know, where sums of, sums of money generated uh, by an increase in fees for the use of water by industry would be invested into uh, protecting our waterways. You know, construction of a new hydroelectric dam, that's been spoken about over the course of the past little while uh, to support the um, our, our current um, hydro-Quebec system across the uh, the province, and then a, a $50 million investment in sustainable agriculture to accelerate the adoption of eco-responsible uh, practices. So again, those are just some of them, of course. And health, you know, we're talking big numbers here. I, I, I hate talking about health because I'm cynical. And because, you know, we talk about big numbers, what does that actually do? So looking without the number there, people are going to promise another $750 million or another $3 billion here, $2 billion here, throwing out these, these big numbers here. But just in terms of some of the fun ones that I saw, you know, they would, the Quebec Solidale is really wanting to focus on a network of CLSCs that are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they would, they would hire 5,000 new employees for, and they would also uh, establish public coverage of mental health services, which we've been speaking about more and more over the course of the past little while. Um, mental health has become front of mind for so many people, uh, especially during the course of the pandemic. Um, Quebec Liberal Party in this regard, they've been speaking about being able to provide a family doctor for all, but here's my cynicism. You've promised that in the past. You yeah. promised that the way, and other parties have too what does that actually mean um you know when you you've made this promise time in and time out and you never are able to deliver it. it's it's pretty it's pretty sad from that perspective you know the pq wants to completely do away with the model of the, the caqs as seniors homes uh they're sort of like they're um they're ultra they're uber uh CHSNDs that they want to that are going to be costing millions of dollars to build they want to invest uh, three billion dollars a year in home care and allocate 50 percent of the long-term care budget to home care within four years so that's going to be pretty interesting from that perspective and the CAC just to wrap it up on when it comes to uh, healthcare investments um, you know they're, they're looking to invest 400 million dollars to admit 660 more students to medical schools and recruit 5,000 new health professionals again my cynicism on this whole thing wasn't the Dawson College expansion wasn't that project that you you know you threw to the side and said no we're not going forward with it anymore because it's an English CGEP wouldn't have that created a whole new generation of nurses? Yeah. It would have expanded your nursing program. It would have been able to bring in so many more. You could have taken from that 660 more students right there into medical schools or health or 5,000 new professionals. You could have definitely bonafide that number had Dawson, the Dawson College project gone ahead. And it didn't. Um, and again, 
that's why I'm cynical in this whole regard here. Um, just to wrap it up on, on the Quebec, uh, on the Conservative Party of Quebec, um, the, again, I've been a little bit lean. They've been talking more about tax credits. And you remember when Eric Zouin was supporting all those gyms that were going rogue over the course of the pandemic? Well, he's giving back to them a $500 tax credit for a gym membership or other sports uh, for um, uh, Quebecers across the board. Uh, again, will we see the realization of that uh, over the course of the next few weeks when they become the when Eric Zouin becomes premier? I don't think so because he won't become premier in any case. Yes. Um, it, it's interesting because they were looking at the, the there was a picture I should have sent it to you, um, like a like a chart of you know the costing uh, each party based on their platforms how much revenue are they uh, projecting and right. uh, how you know how many expenses, and it's funny because Eric Zuem they were both in the negative, and I'm just <laughs> not sure how that works like. Uh, I, I, I don't get it in terms of expenses. I think it's or revenues minus 30 billion and expenses. Well, they wouldn't be balancing the budget. Billion. We'd be going more into debt. I mean, we would have a massive deficit under these governments. I mean, at least the one thing that I can give Legault and, and uh, Litao credit for in terms of their respective governments, um, or I guess Eric Giaud, rather, for the CAC and, and, uh, and um, Carlos Litao, is for balancing the budget and for actually having some, um, you know, stability in terms of uh, our. Uh, public purse and i think people can appreciate that let's uh, let's go over to uh the the, the spicy thing and you know it, it, i don't know if it's a coincidence it comes out in the morning right before the debate uh a new leger poll drops this morning and uh it's quite something it is uh, i mean for the first time um that we've seen over the course of the past four years um that, that the cac has been in power we're seeing a bit of a drop now it's not a substantial drop let's let's be very frank on this front here it's it's not it's not something that um i think should cause the cac to worry um i i, I certainly if i was advising them i wouldn't be uh worried at this point here but there there is um they they, they have dropped about two points uh, since the beginning of the campaign itself. So um, they're still on their way towards a majority government, um, but it is a downward trend um, that has been constant since the beginning of August. And, and you know, pollsters have been wary of this. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it's, again, depending on which polls you're looking at, it's a two to four percentage point drop uh, since the election was called. Um, and again, uh, it's it's not good for the campaign. It's, it's not, it's... It's, but it's not like their their campaign is on fire. It's as if somebody's trying to light a match. Um, there's, a, there's a can of butane open somewhere uh, that shouldn't be. So um, it, it, again, it's going below that forty percent support mark. Uh, getting a little bit uh, nervous, but but definitely not uh, sweating bullets at this point. Um, but it, yeah, in terms also yeah. the fact that all the other parties are under twenty percent. So I mean, the gap is still uh, is still big. But like you said, the important thing yeah. is to see the trend. Where yeah, we, and where's it headed? Exactly. And so and if we look at the trend and just just to give people an idea of where this poll is, 38 percent for the CAC, 18 percent for the Quebec Liberal Party, 17 percent for Quebec Solidaire, 15 percent for the Conservative Party of Quebec and 11 percent for the Parti Québécois. Just to put it in perspective and what that's showing with the drop in two to four percent for the uh, for the CAC, we are seeing, um, I would say, a, a very equitable increase amongst the four major parties remaining outside them. Um, we're, we're seeing a bit of a bump for them, but we're talking anywhere between, you know, 0.5 to 1, 1.5 percent, depending on the party itself. Um, I would say the party that's probably gained the most from this has been Quebec Solidaire. They're going back to where they were in the beginning of 2019, I would say, uh, where they were at their highest uh, at around, um, you know, they were at their highest 
in Malaysia polling around 20%. So it's, it's, they're doing very well from that standpoint, standpoint there. But is it enough to actually crack, um, you know, becoming official opposition, let's say, that's going to be a real a problem. You know, uh, Dominique Anglade, who, who's riding in Saint-Denis, Saint-Anne, um, that's really being targeted by Gabriel de Dubois. Um, you know, Quebec Solidar is really hoping to come out on top over there. Uh, we'll see if it's the case. It's a bit of a three-way race right now between the CAC, QS, and um, uh, Anglade's POQ over there, or her, again, her own riding over there in Saint-Denis, Saint-Anne. The one thing that, again, that we've seen that, I, you know, I find very interesting is that the PQ remains the best second choice among supporters. Um and, and that that's something that I, I think that they're going to be trying to sell um, over the course of the next few days. And especially with the debate coming up tonight, uh, that's going to be something that I think Plan should definitely be speaking about. The, the debate, I think, is going to shift a lot because let's not forget one thing that you didn't mention also in the po- in the, in the, in the poll is that there's over 30 percent of people that are undecided still. And right. that's a huge number. Like if you consider 30 percent, like any of those four other parties, well, maybe three, like the Liberals, um, Conservatives, and Quebec Solidaire, even if they go pick up a third of that, it's a different ballgame, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, so just to go back to what you were saying about Quebec Solidaire, yeah, they have had an increase uh, since the beginning of the campaign, but it also seems to be very um, uh, local, right? It's uh, like the support base is coming much more uh, Montreal. concentrated in the region of Montreal. So um that's going to be interesting to see as well for sure and that's a, that's a big change from sort of that regional approach that they had or or those regional gains they had in 2018 you know getting a, getting a, a seat in the Abitibi-Tiniskaming region getting a seat in Sherbrooke getting those Quebec city seats you know are they going to be able to retain them i think Sherbrooke uh is going to go cac i think that um up in in Rwanda it is going to go cac i think the real battleground to watch is going to be um, the Jean Lesage uh, and Tasha riding uh, and see if they can they can hold on to that there. Just in terms, just to wrap up the poll here, in, in, when Quebecers were asked, um, you know, regardless of their voting intention, which leader has had the best campaign uh, so far? 25% of Quebecers say it's Legault, 13% uh, each for Gabriel de Dubois and Eric Zouaim, 11% for Paul Saint Pierre Plamondon, and of course, uh, our. Dominique Anglad coming dead last at seven percent. Um, no, no surprise. That. No I, surprise. It's, it's just this. You just can't win. Literally, no surprise. Can't win but, anything. But and this, I'll, I'll just you know heading over to the to our last topic here, which is the debate, because she also like yes, it's bad the campaign so far, but at the same time, she has absolutely nothing to lose in the debate tonight, and that's very important. Um, Here's here's my uh, reflex for the debate. There's one right. person really that has um, experience in debating, and that's Francois Legault. But you have every single leader is an effective communicator. It's going to be an amazing debate. Just my prediction. Um, you have very capable leaders in terms of their communication skills. And the fact, and we've spoken about this in earlier episodes, the fact that Legault uh, opens his mouth and can say just any dumb thing could harm him in this debate so uh i just want to ask you what you think the leaders should be focusing on in this debate yeah i i think it's going to be terribly stressful for them um and, th- and that's what what's worrying me and just in terms of you know uh, we're going to see some of the, the the best and some of the worst coming from the leaders and i think 
And, and you know, here's what each of them has to do. Um, Legault needs to stick to his key messaging. He cannot go off uh, criticizing Montreal left, right, and center. He needs to speak, give broad messaging that is palpable to all Quebecers, whether they're in urban centers or they're in the regions. Uh, he cannot get into tiffs, uh, these these little mini fights that he's having with the moderator. Um, with, a, with you know that that is going to be. Because um, we saw that in the interview, those one-on-one interviews that they were doing with Hatsu uh, we saw those that, that that going on, and it, he came off as arrogant. Um, it's a recurring theme in terms of what he's doing, and it, it just it's, it really looks um, it, it looks petty overall. And so, what I think uh, Dominique Anglade, what she's going to have to do over the course of the debate, is really dispel some of the uh, you know the, the major mess ups that she's had over the course of the campaign. Um, you know lack of candidates, lack of organization, lack of volunteers, um, you know, not being able to properly cost your your, your fiscal platform. Um, which is, uh, which is also, yeah, which is also something that she's going to get attacked on for sure. For sure. And and again, like she is the only party, if you if you look at the numbers that could reasonably form government, um, it, it's, it's not going to be possible this time around. But if you want to be looking at other opposition parties. I mean, the Quebec Liberal Party is the only one that has a, had a broad a voter base, yeah. um, and, and which is obviously very, is crumbling now, but I think that she's going to want us to really focus on uh, trying to attack Legault on COVID performance, um, really going after his comments on immigration. Uh, again, try to, to you know focus on the meat and potatoes. Where does the Quebec Liberal Party really lie? Um, they lie with supporting uh, the message of diversity, inclusiveness. There's a place for there's a place for all Quebecers uh, in Dominique Anglade's Quebec, and and a place for for the Anglophone community. And really, uh, again, it's uh, no matter where you come from, Anglophone, Francophone, Allophone, we are the party that is there to unite all Quebecers. And I think that's the kind of message she has to come off with. But again, I think her detractors there on the debate stage are really going to say you have nothing to offer. Uh, and and again, it's showing with lack of organization, lack of candidates. You you don't have a full roster yet. You're probably not going to have a full roster by by the cutoff this weekend. Um, it's it's pretty sad. When it comes to let's say Quebec City Dell, I think that he, I think that uh, I think that Dubois again needs to stick to things that are more reasonable with the platform in terms of highlighting them. I think he needs to stay away from from you know uh, you know taxes like wealth taxes, death taxes, things of like that you know estate transfer tax. Um, these are things that are not going to bode well um, for most people watching, because as you said in the past, I mean, like the biggest, um, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that, that families have when, when, they're, when they're, they're, their parents pass on is going to be a house. Uh, and, and very quickly, you can find yourself uh, going over the caps that the Quebec that Quebec is proposing. And it can be very dangerous in terms of you being able to provide for your family, be able to, to establish, uh, you know, nobody wants to be attacked on this. Nobody wants to have to. Be be punished because of a death in their family, and that they're accumulating wealth through this. It just it, it's petty, and it doesn't look good. It's poor messaging overall. Um, uh, you know, uh, looking at uh, the PQ, I think that um, the independentist message has been strong. Obviously, coming from PSPP, he's the only party that is really you know promoting it uh, effectively. Um, but again, the, where, where's the the voter base for for Quebec sovereignty at this point? It, it's it's. He, he, at least we can say that he's consistent, he's authentic on this, but are any of his proposals really sticking? I don't think so. And on Zoom, I think for him, he's going to really have to um, undercut Legault in terms of that conservative narrative that Legault has tried to take over the course of his mandate. Um, I think that he's going to get attacked on a lot for his candidates. Uh, don't be, I wouldn't be surprised if a few stories came out today, later on today, um, about 
uh, some conservative candidates, some things they've said over the course of the past little while. We saw there was a story uh, in the Journal de Montréal about a candidate uh, attacking the PQ, comparing them to Nazis, yeah. um, you know, saying that Bill 101 shouldn't exist. It's a terrible totalitarian law. Um, you know, and, and again, that's the third rail of Quebec politics. We speak the French language. We don't support the French language, regardless of what bill that might be or what that might look like. So, again, I think that you're going to see some some muddy, some really bad stories coming out on the Conservatives later today. We can talk about it next week uh, and talk about the debate next week. But um, I think that Zouam, he really needs to position himself as reasonable, credible, because, again, that's not the perception I think a lot of the party leaders have. I don't think it's the perception a lot of people that are on the fence looking at him have right now. And that's the reason why they're saying, you know what? I like the conservative policies that policies that Zouam's pushing, but I feel more comfortable being part of the the, the CAC. Um, I'll, I'll find some I'll find some some level ground there as opposed to uh, the the disasters that we've seen over the course of the campaign with with Zuhaim. Um, You know his his tax his his tax stories, him not being paying his taxes. Um, it really hasn't been smooth sailing for him over the course of the past week or so. Uh, uh, one little question: Do you think the fact that uh, Dominique Anglade is the only woman? Uh, in the debate, do you think that's going to play into her favor a little bit? Maybe they're going to be a bit less aggressive with her or they're going to go a bit easier on her. I mean, we've seen that happen. Like, I remember in 2012, I think, where uh, Francoise David was the first time Quebec Solidaire was participating in the debate. She did fantastically well and everyone kind of went easy on her. Maybe because she was Francoise David and she's very likable. I don't know what it was, but I had that feeling that, you know, you the dynamics are different when men are are debating and when women are in the decor yeah we'll see and i think that it's really going to play down to the go because everybody's going to be watching him tonight as as obviously the uh, you know i think he'll be continuing his mandate come october 3rd um whether or not that arrogance plays into uh his his the way his debate style which if it does that will not bode well for him Nobody wants to see an angry older man yelling at a middle-aged woman, yeah. and so it, it's not a great look. And if if she's able to get under his skin, that will be beneficial to her this evening. If Legault is able to stay calm, cool, and collected, I think that he will be able to come off as 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 the right path going forward, and will be able to fend off anybody who's looking at at the at the Conservative Party right now as a viable option going forward. So I do think that, yes, the woman card could come into play, Will it, but I think that the impression that most people have on GLAD already is pretty poor. Um, I don't think her gender comes into it. I think it's more the fact that her communication style is terrible. Yeah. Her platform is not resonating with Quebecers. The uh, fumbles that she's had over the course of the campaign uh, and even in the pre-campaign are notable. Um, again, This is what people are looking at, and I don't think gender will come into play on that point. It will it will come into play in terms of the way that Legault comes off to her, and how also the other party leaders come off to her as well. Um, but I would really worry about Legault because, again, he has an arrogance problem. All right, let's wrap it up. Our wag of the finger, tip of the hat. Uh, Tip, tip of the hat uh, to uh, Legault because, again, he stayed consistent throughout the campaign. I think that um, his numbers, uh, albeit that has been a bit of a drop, I think that he's been able to really uh, get his candidates on board, um, not have any major fumbles over the course of the campaign, hasn't had to drop uh, any, any candidates during the campaign period itself. So I think that does show that uh, people are on board. They're sticking to their key messaging. 
the, the, the organizers around them are some of the best organizers that I've, I've had the opportunity to meet and to work with also in the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, so that crossover there is definitely beneficial. But there's also liberal organizers that are helping you know, too from the federal side, which uh, is, is playing to Legault's advantage. He's, he's really able to build not just that coalition in terms of his, um, his elected officials or future elected officials, but also on the political organizer front too. He's able to really get the best of the best working for him. And everybody knows he's going to be forming government come October 3rd. So he's able to ensure that he can get the best of the best and that he's part of a winning team. Um, I, I, I think for the wag of the finger, it has to go back to uh, PSPP, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, GND, uh, Anglad, even to a certain extent, definitely would go in terms of really uh, throwing um, Nick Suzuki under the bus uh, for the, the his inability to speak French at this point right now. Um, you know, does he have to learn French? Maybe. Will he learn some French? Probably for the sake of symbolism. But will he be with the Canadians two or three years from now? Nobody fucking knows. So my point being is trying to make this uh, a campaign story trying to make this a new and shame on the journalists that are really pushing this and really trying to sully this guy's reputation of the french media this should be a time that he should be thrilled uh that just should be a thrilling time in, in his in his career it should be a time for him to be celebrating it right now it's not and right now it's being sullied by new stories like this and if i if i was nick I would, I would try to impress him as much as possible. I would take a French teacher. I would go out there and learn some symbolic French and, and try to put it together and, and make it work um, just to, to th- throw it back in their face and say, hey, you know what? You dared me. I did it. Fuck off. And there you have it, folks. I'm looking forward to the debate. I think it's going to be crucial in people at least somehow making a decision that that over 30% undecided is going to be a major factor on October 3rd, I think. Um, and I think Pretty much people are waiting for these moments, the debates. So I think it's going to be determining on how they perform. Uh, And uh, yeah, we'll talk again on Monday. Lots of things are going to obviously happen over the weekend as well. So we're going to have a ton to talk about on Monday. See you all then. Michael, thank you so much, buddy. Looking forward to it, George. Cheers, bud. Take care.